Hello, and welcome to the Brookwood Ministries podcast. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches us a pathway to peace. Let's join the pastors of Brookwood Care Ministries as we explore eight principles of growth in this care podcast series on the journey of healing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Care Ministries podcast. We are so glad to have you back with us today. Uh, We are continuing our series on the eight principles that are used in Celebrate Recovery. Now, if you're not familiar with Celebrate Recovery, that is a ministry that we have here that helps you overcome all different types of hurts, habits, hangups, whether it's anger, a history of abuse, relationship issues, chemical addiction. If it is keeping you from connecting with God, we can help you in Celebrate Recovery. And the reason for that is these eight principles that we've been discussing are based on the words of Jesus. They come out of the Sermon on the Mount in a section that we call the Beatitudes. So we went through the first couple. We talked about the first principle in which we realized that we weren't God, and uh, we realized that our life was out of control, it was unmanageable. And then we moved on to the second principle where we learn that you have to earnestly believe that God exists, and more importantly, that you matter to him and that he has the power to help you recover. And then last week, we started talking about principle three. Principle three is this, consciously choose to commit all of my life and my will to Christ's care and control. And the verse that goes with that is Matthew 5, 5, happy are the meek or blessed are the humble. And we didn't get to finish that conversation because it's so rich and there's so much stuff, and we talked a lot about what it means to surrender your will or commit your will to Christ, but we didn't really get to talk about what it means to commit your life to Christ's care and control. So we wanted to come back for a second week and continue our discussion on Principle 3. So if you opened up Part 4, looking for Principle 4, go to the next podcast once it's up, and you'll find it there. so I'm here with Doug, who is our counseling and marriage pastor. Say hello, Doug. Hello there. And I'm also here with Gene Beckner, who is our care pastor. Say hello, Gene. Hello, Gene. I you knew. I knew. <laughs> I knew that you were going to do that. And I'm Josh Masters, the associate care pastor here at Brookwood Church, and we're going to continue that conversation. So, Doug, I'm going to start with you today. What does it mean when you commit your life to Christ's care and control? What What comes to mind for you? Oh, man, this is like right at the heart of the meaning of the gospel. Check this out. Colossians 3.3 um, from the New Living Translation puts it this way, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, Notice that it says your real life. That would insinuate that there is a false life, too. Oh, yeah, good point. You know, the the false life or the the ego um, is, is the word that is used in Greek, is a way that we identify ourselves by all of the things that we do. Um, the accomplishments that we have, um, that would be the false life. The true life is who we are in Christ. Um, it's actually maybe more accurate to say it's Christ's life living within us, as it says in Galatians 2.20. So um, Christ is not, if we understand this this walk that we have with with God, we cannot separate it from the idea that Christ is living his life in us and through us. He's not just an add-on to our life um, to, you know, make us feel good. He actually becomes our life. Um, 
So the, the real question comes down to who am I in Christ? Um, whenever we have a, an idea that pops into our mind that honors God, um, you know, we might ask ourselves, do, are we capable of, of ushering forth all of these really profound thoughts? I don't think that we are. Um, I don't think that we're capable of um, making ourselves do the right thing because, you know, the heart is, is, is deceptively wicked. Mm. Um, it seeks out after itself. Um, and so that old selfish nature died on the cross with Christ. And so now that we have this new nature, as it talks about in the scripture, we can now live a life that is free from the bondage to, to sin and to self. Um, so that's right at the heart of what the gospel is all about. I think a lot of people, you know, who are listening to this might be going, well, you know, my life's not that bad, you know, and I do a lot of good things, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I give to the poor, you know, or I feed the homeless or, uh, you know, I throw a $20 bill in the plate when it comes by on Sundays, you know, I, I give to toys for tots or, you know, I buy some presents for some kids at Christmas. I do some shoe boxes, Mm -hmm. you know, I give, uh, you know, my, my extra clothes to Goodwill or Miracle Hill or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're talking about is, is, uh, is a transformation. Like it's, it would be noticeable. It would be, it would cost us something just like Jesus's life cost uh, you know, that was the cost for him to be on the cross so that we could have a relationship with God. So I think helping people with this idea that you could be doing a lot of quote unquote good things. Yes. But you're not identifying yourself in Christ and you haven't really given your life to him. Right. And there are motives behind the good things that we do that we need sure. to examine, right? We have to examine our motives for what we do. But it, it falls into that trap of, well, I'm a good person, yes. so I don't need Christ because I'm a good person. And and you may very well do good things, but we're, as Doug was saying, inherently we have sin issues. Inherently we make bad choices. And if you take the route of saying, well, I do good things to balance that out, okay, well, how many good things? Like what scale are you yeah. basing it on? What are you mm-hmm. comparing it to? Yeah. Like, are you really comfortable living a life where at the end you hope the scales tip onto the good side? Uh, And that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about recognizing the, you know, the first principle that we talked about, that my life is unmanageable. Mm -hmm. Like, I may have the illusion of it being manageable, but there are struggles in my life that I don't have the power to fix um, because I'm not God, right? Yes. Yes. And, you know, one thing that, that our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, says a lot on Sundays is when, you know, if, if you had a, a salvation experience and you walked an aisle, that was the beginning of the relationship, not the end. That's exactly right. And so, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're going, man, that's really hard. You're talking about this whole thing about giving my life over and, you know, understand that it's a lifetime Walk. It's an. It's actually an eternal walk. If we're yes. if we read the scriptures correctly, because you know the the Bible says that that God is is uh, faithful to finish what He started. Yes. And kind of what Doug was saying, what He has started is you are going to look and act like Christ 
you're going to, that's what our goal is. That's what our transformation is. So you're right, Josh, when you said a minute ago on what scale, well, if I think I'm a good person, then I should probably compare myself to Christ. Yeah. And that won't take long for me to realize I'm not doing so hot. Right. But the great thing is, like what Doug said, is Christ is in me. And so that transformation is happening if, as we're talking, I consciously commit myself for that to happen. Right. But that brings up a catch-22. Doug, you brought up a catch-22 that Gene just referenced again, which is we don't have the ability to make the change in ourselves and right. to see everything ourselves. Yet we're talking about consciously choosing. So it seems like that there's a contradiction there. Like, I can't do it. I'm not capable of it. But I have to consciously choose something, right? I have to consciously choose Christ. And I love what Mark Taylor says, uh, who's our discipleship pastor in our essentials class, which is our discipleship class here at Brookwood. He says, you take the first step toward God. God takes the second step toward you. And by the time you get to the third step, you realize that God was the one that took the first step. And I love that. And that's what that's like. But one of the things that can be helpful is if we look at examples in our lives of what that transformation looks like and what that choosing looks like and submitting to Christ at the same time. And Gene, I know that you have a favorite from Scripture, of course. Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of examples, but I think the the one that's the most you know probably dramatic um, is you know Saul of Tarsus. Um, you know, when we see him in in Acts nine, you know, the Bible says that you know he was eager, he was zealous to kill the Lord's followers or the Lord's disciples to the point where he was going to the religious leaders and he was getting. Um, really letters <laughs> saying you have the right to kill these people or drag them back, you know, to be, you know, in, in a court of law and be found guilty of, you know, whatever charges he was going to trump up. And so, um, you know, here's someone that's actively pursuing a life away from Christ. And then in verse three, uh, it says that he was approaching Damascus on his mission, I thought was interesting, or the mission. It wasn't God's mission at that moment. It was his mission. So he he had not consciously chosen, obviously, to commit his life to Christ. He was he was doing things that were contrary. And if we're honest, those of us who uh, have a relationship with Christ, if we look back at it, we were. We were consciously choosing something else. Mm-hmm. Or as Doug talked about, maybe we were unconsciously choosing it, but we were definitely not choosing him. And so... In verse 5, when he has this experience, and this is Acts 9, verse 5, um, I love this part because, and Josh talked about this earlier when we were talking, that Jesus says to him, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul's first answer is, who are you, Lord? And I did a, a, a word study of that and different uh words come out, one of it being master over all. Mm. So he he did not know Jesus, but he knew that this was something that was not, where he wasn't going to be in control. And so he acknowledged, you know, there was just a sense of whoever this is that's talking to me has, you know, way more authority than I do. And then what happens in verse six is that Jesus starts to direct Saul's path. 
you know, and then we find out later, you know, that Saul has to be taken care of, you know, the scales come off of his eyes, but you start to see a life where Saul is allowing Jesus to direct his path. And he spends some, you know, people, you know, you can read the story in Acts where people were like obviously skeptical because he had been persecuting and killing Christians. Next thing he's talking about Jesus being the Messiah. And they're like, hey, wait a minute. But in Galatians, this is probably one of my favorite uh, verses in Galatians 1, um, verses 11 and 12. He, he is, you know, he's writing this letter and he says, look, this gospel message is coming from Jesus. This isn't man-made. Mm-hmm. This is from from Christ. And so you see a maturing of him, even though the Damascus Road, a lot of people refer to that and go, oh, it was such a, you know, a momentous occasion. It was. And maybe, you know, that's what Jesus had to do to get Saul's attention, you know, who becomes Paul, who writes, you know, most of the New Testament. But what I see is I see somebody who consciously put themselves, who purposely put themselves in a place to learn from Jesus and to learn from the religious leaders. I mean, you see him submitting to Peter and at times confronting Peter. And, you know, so he's in relationship with people and that's great. But it all goes back to what did he do with what happened to him? Because he could have rebelled, you know, he could have said, no, I'm not doing this. And he could have backed away, and but he didn't. And so you get to see the benefit of that. And that doesn't mean that everybody's going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And it doesn't mean that everybody's going to have a Damascus Road experience. But the question to really ask ourselves is, have I had that moment? And if I have, what's been my response? You know? Because I think we could go around this room. We could all talk about times where we felt like God was saying something to us and we didn't listen. And there was usually a consequence. But we could probably all talk about times where we have submitted ourselves to God and seen the benefit of it. And it may not be beneficial to those on the outside. They may not see it, but we certainly experience it on the inside. Yeah, that's exactly right. You don't always see the transformation on the outside, and people may not see it right away, but they should eventually see it. In the case of Saul, who became Paul, of course, his transformation was dramatic right from the beginning. It was significant, and you could see the change in his life, even though he still had struggles in life. But sometimes it's a process, and that's okay. We were talking about this verse a little bit earlier here. fits perfectly. Uh, Matthew 16, uh, 24 through 28 says, give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you, um, if you hang on to this life, in other words, hang on to your own agenda, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, like giving up your own agendas, for my sake, you will save it. I think that's really what it's all about. It's a, it's a transformation that takes place. It's about ownership who do we belong to? Do we belong to ourselves or do we belong to Christ? And that's where Colossians 3.3 comes in with that, um, that, that new life. That's where change actually takes place. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we, and we talked about this earlier, that when we think of committing our lives, we think of it from the terms of lending our life to Christ. Mm-hmm. Like that's still my life. But I'll lend it to you, and the more I lend it to you, the better Christian I am. That's not what Scripture says, right? Scripture says you die to yourself 
And like the verse you said, like it becomes our life is hidden inside Christ being in us. Yes. Yeah. And of course, the best example of that is Jesus Christ himself. And that can be a little bit confusing because you're, because you're like, well, how can Jesus submit to God when he is God? But when Jesus had his earthly ministry, the first earthly ministry, he submitted to the Father. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says that he was God, but he didn't want to stay God if it didn't mean that there was no means of salvation. So it says he humbled himself. Remember our verse is blessed are the meek or happy are the humble. Mm -hmm. He humbled himself and became a slave so that we could be saved. And as he did that, he modeled for us what it meant to commit your life to God. So one example of that is in John 8, 28, where Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. And it's significant that he said, I am. Basically, he's admitting there that he is God. He is the Messiah. But then he goes on to say, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And then later on, actually a little bit before that, in chapter 5, he says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Mm -hmm. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And that's the perfect example of a life committed to Christ, committed to God, is that we're only doing what the Father is asking us to do. We're only doing what we see the Father doing. We only say what we hear the Father say. Whereas we have a tendency to tune into it and tune out of it when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. But Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't do anything that the Father doesn't tell me to do. No words come off my tongue that the Father doesn't tell me to say. Mm -hmm. It's a complete commitment. And all of his actions and all of his prayers, and all of his miracles, and everything that he does is based on what he is seeing the Father do. So we have to attune ourselves to seeing what the Father is doing and fulfilling that Colossians verse that you talked about, Doug, so that we can get to a place where we can do that. And in that, he does that so that God gets the glory. Yes. You know, and... and so that nobody could confuse it. You know, he, he wasn't trying to set up an earthly kingdom. You know, he was saying he would humble himself to the point of death upon a cross. And in the book um, Knowing God by Packer, he makes a comment in there where he says that the person who humbles themselves to God and knows God intimately becomes even more humble to the point where they don't want the glory. They want God to have the glory. Yes. And, you know, when you meet people like that, it's really refreshing when they're not talking about themselves and about how great they are or trying to build their kingdom instead of his kingdom. That's exactly right. So how do we get to that place where we can be knowing what the Father is saying and knowing what the Father is doing and only doing that? When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was— he named two, but the first one that he says is, and this is in Mark twelve thirty. if you want to look it up, he says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. 
So there's no question that it's about loving God from every angle, not just giving a part of our life to God, but everything that's made up of us is about loving God. Because Romans 11.36 says that everything was created to bring God glory, and that means that we were created to bring God glory. And the only way we can do that is in relationship. That's where this transformation comes from, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes. is about relationship. And that's what Christ is reaching out to you for. He wants to have relationship with you. And we think we have to check all these boxes and that we have to do all these things and we have to clean up. But God doesn't need us cleaned up to accept us. He sees us as we are. And he wants us to come to him. He's already opening the door. He's already knocking. And he wants us to engage with him. He's already pursuing us, so we need to pursue him. We think it's complicated to enter into this life with Christ, but it's not. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by opening, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So all he's asking is that you call out to him. You call out to him and make a declaration that you want to be his. Because as you said, Doug, we can't do it. We can't get to this place on our own. But what's great is that God is willing to teach us how. Yes. But we need to engage in a relationship with him. And what's great about the that openness that you were talking about, Revelations 3.20 here I am, I stand at the door and knock. This is Jesus talking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So exactly what you're talking about, relationship. You know, we're always talking about eating with people and getting together for food and that kind of stuff. And here's Jesus saying, I want relationship. I'm knocking, but you have to you have to open the door. Right. And that letter, that, that letter that you're referencing is written to the church. So the offer is not just to people who have never accepted Christ, but to people who are in the church that don't have a real relationship with him, yeah. right? Yeah. And so it's hard for us in the time that we have to unpack all that. We could go on and on talking about Paul. We could certainly talk more about Jesus and his model for what it means to be uh, have a committed life for God but we don't have time here. And we know that each person's story is individual. So we would love to connect with you. If you have questions about what it means, either what you've heard here or what it means to commit your life to Christ, we would be honored to have that conversation with you. So at the end of this podcast, you're gonna hear a phone number that you can call. We would love to engage with you. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this time together. Uh, we thank you for your word and that we got to talk about your word today. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us in the studio here that you would draw us closer to you. And anyone that is listening to this podcast that feels like their relationship is not as close as it should be with you, Lord, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to stir that feeling, that they wouldn't just push it down, Lord. And however we can be an encouragement to them, we want to be able to do that. Or we ask that you put someone else in their path to encourage them. But Lord, we ask that you would put a desire in their heart to ask the question of who you are and what you want them to know and how they can be drawn closer to you. 
We thank you and we give you praise in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Care Ministries podcast from Brookwood Church. If you'd like more information about today's topic or you need support, you can call us at 864-688-8355. You can also learn more about Care Ministries by visiting www.brookwoodchurch.org care. And make sure to check out all of our upcoming events and support groups on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash brookwoodcare. We'd love to be an encouragement to you as we walk together in a healing relationship with Christ. Until next time, God bless.